And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. We have got a new episode of Wizards After Dark, and the most important part of it all is absolutely nothing has happened since the last time we podcasted. So we are truly in the off-season part of the off-season, you know. The NBA offseason, for the most part, doesn't really feel like an offseason with free agency and the draft and the drama and whatever else is going on and with KD and Draymond Green doing interviews with each other. But uh, this really does feel like, for the first time in two years, it really does feel like we have an offseason part of the offseason right now. And, And so I figured the perfect person to have on a podcast about nothing is someone who who not only is is just wonderful at talking about nothing, is is a person who actively dislikes coming on podcasts. So I figured I'd uh, I'd ruin his day and uh, have on uh, our our spectacular and disrespected Los Angeles Lakers beat reporter Bill Orem. What's going on, sir? You know, I, I thought you were going to have Jerry Seinfeld on after that lead up. I thought I was just I thought I was just here to like listen in, like. Given that, given that intro, I just assumed it was going to be somebody from Seinfeld to talk about nothing. But I guess I'll have to do. I apologize, though, to everyone in advance. Yeah, Seinfeld was good at making something out of nothing on a show that was about nothing. You know, here is, I don't know. I guess we can spend a whole... Make, make, we can make nothing out of nothing on a podcast about nothing and with nothing to show for it. Look, every, everything, never, never are we more meaningless than we are at the end of August and into the early of September. This is a great sell on the podcast, by the way. Please subscribe to Wizards After Dark and The Athletic. This is great. <laughs> Please subscribe for nothing. <laughs> this is great. Uh, Bill, Bill, I wanted to have you on, though, because nothing happened, but things still happened before the nothingness. And uh, one of those things is that the Wizards acquired three guys from the Lakers. I haven't really done. I mean, I've I've written a lot about the three Lakers guys who came over in the Westbrook deal, and I've I've written about Dinwiddie. Uh, I just I just had a story up where I co-authored a story with with John Hollinger, which in all seriousness I think is worth reading. Uh, if you go over to the Athletic, and if you're not a subscriber to the Athletic, as I always say, you can subscribe for a discounted rate if you go to theathletic.com/slash/wizardsafterdark and check it out there. And we kind of ran through the roster and ran through everything. But one thing I haven't really done on the podcast as much as I could, and I was kind of saving it for this quiet period, is I just kind of wanted to run through the three guys they got from the Lakers. Uh, you know, Kyle Kuzma and Montrez Harrell and Contavious Caldwell Pope. Who I feel like, and you know, especially Caldwell Pope and even Kuzma, I feel like could be really, really helpful for what the Wizards want. And uh, you know, you covered all those guys for varying amounts of time, and I, I, I just felt like they deserved a deep dive pod on their own. So, so let's get into this today. Those are all guys I know very, very well. Well, two of the three I know very, very well. I got to know Montrez Harrell via Zoom last year. But, you know, Kyle Kuzma and KCP were the two longest tenured Lakers before this trade. They had been there uh, since 2017. 
and you know Kyle Kuzma obviously is a late first round pick and KCP as a bit of a mole for Clutch Sports and Rich Paul and LeBron James to make sure the Lakers were a suitable landing spot for LeBron, um, and and here we are. But uh, so you know, all all guys I enjoyed covering to varying degrees. Uh, so I. Uh, in, in one way or another, I enjoyed covering all of them. So I look forward to our conversation about them. So you know what I think is interesting about KCP? When he first came to the Lakers... They, they played basketball with a with an anklet, <laughs> with a tracking device. That, that's definitely interesting. Also, that like when he first came to the Lakers, there was, there was that kind of... Like that was the thing that everybody mentioned, what you just did. It's like, okay, the Lakers want to bring in LeBron... He's with Rich Paul. This is this is Agent Favor 101 type of stuff. And that was just the thing that everybody commented on when he went to the Lakers. And, and he had, you know, he, he had, you know, uh, he could have potentially earned earned big money maybe with with Detroit if he had played things differently and, and yada, yada. And he goes to the Lakers and and it's thought of as more as an advancement towards landing LeBron than anything else. But he was so important for the Lakers, like screw all the outside noise like he. He on that title run, I think you can make a very cogent argument and you can tell me if you disagree that he was their third best player during the playoffs when they won the title a couple of years ago. And no, I, I think I think I think that's actually uh, indisputable. I think he was you know, over the course of that entire playoff run, their third most uh, reliable player. He was their most important defender. You know, Rondo had bigger moments and, you know, kind of lived up to the whole playoff Rondo moniker. But KCP over the course of that run with um, the work he did in those series against the Rockets and Nuggets, especially, and then against Miami, you know, just really upped his game in every way. And, you know, the Lakers spent so much of that year talking about how their third star, their defense or their third star was their depth. Um, KCP, never a guy that anybody's going to call a star, but he was their third best player. And, th- and that, you know, that is a pretty that's pretty high praise to be able to say that the guy was the third best player on a championship team. Yeah, no question. I mean, he's especially a guy who, by the way, like feels just sort of like a throw in in this trade. Like it was just sort of like, oh, yeah, it's a 12 million, 12 million dollar contract. Just throw it in to make the money. work. Right. For sure. I mean, he's he is the exact kind of guy who fits into all 30 rosters. I don't think there's a team in the NBA except for maybe the Lakers. I don't think there's a team team in the NBA. Who, if you say, yeah, take KCP and see if you can figure out how to use him. I don't think there's a team in the NBA that would say, yeah, we can't really figure out how he fits. I think he's kind of one of those guys who fits in everywhere. Right. I mean, he, he, he defends one through three. He's, he's probably better against smaller guard, smaller wings than he is against bigger ones. But if you absolutely need him to guard bigger ones, it's not like he's totally and completely overmatched. He can still totally hold his own, hold his own there. He fights defensively. Uh, he's, he's a good three point shooter. He's not high volume. I think the wizards would love to get him into being like a high volume type guy, but that's never quite been his mindset mm-hmm. as a three point shooter. Uh, but, but do you think, do you think there's more to him than that? Because when he was with Detroit, he would handle more. I mean, he was really more of kind of your classic 3 and D guy the last couple of years once LeBron gets there and they're really good. Do you think there's more to him than that? Like, do you think he comes to, to D.C. and they use him as a backup two in lineups to Beal and that kind of stuff? And we see him handle more and that kind of stuff than he did in L.A.? I think he can. Like we saw it a little bit with the Lakers, like when they would have various injuries. I seem to remember one year, maybe it was the year LeBron hurt his groin. I remember a game that KCP actually started at point guard. Um, so I, I do feel like it's funny. I'm on. I just googled him to get some some data up, and uh, his Wikipedia says that he is a point guard and shooting guard. And you know, so I. <laughs> if it's on I, Wikipedia, I, you know, I, 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 yeah, that's that's how you know it's true. Um, that's no, how I, mean, I do all my guy. research. 
you know, he can be he can be a secondary ball handler. He's really good in transition, um, you know, kind of in all facets of the transition game. So I think he's a guy who, like you said, you can plug and play absolutely anywhere. And his skill set is going to fit because he doesn't need the ball in his hands. But, you know, he can he can be effective with the ball in his hands as a slasher. Um, but, you know, primarily, you know, getting, you know, getting deflections, getting steals and, and pushing it on the break is something he is very comfortable doing. Yeah, I think he's a good fit for them. What do you think of him next to Beal and Dimwitty? Because because I think it's it's very possible. You know, I've talked about him as if he's the favorite to be the starter at the three, and I think that's true. I don't think it's mm-hmm. necessarily locked in. I could see it going another way, but if you know, if I had to bet on who's going to be their starting three, I would think it's going to be him. What do you think of him as a as a as a three in a starting lineup next to Beal and, and Dinwiddie, assuming Dinwiddie's healthy and good to go by opening day, which I think will be the case. I mean, I see that. I mean, that that makes perfect sense to me. It seems like a natural fit. I mean, it's a kind of role that he has, you know, been comfortable in where, you know, he doesn't need to be, you know, the first or secondary ball handler. You know, he, you know, last year with the Lakers, it was Schroeder and LeBron. Um, and then uh, the year before that, obviously, uh, all LeBron all the time, basically, you know, in, in terms of, you know, the the lead guard offensively. I, I just think that, you know, he's a guy who, you know, is going to knock down shots. Those guys are going to create so much gravity. He's going to be able to get to the perimeter. The problem with the problem with KCP is that he's just so streaky. And you know, he'll have games where he'll knock down seven threes, like he did uh, last year in I think in Detroit. And then he, you know, will completely disappear for a month and a half and shoot twenty percent from three. And he has these really kind of remarkable highs and lows. And that's something you have to be able to ride out with him. And fortunately, defensively, you know, he kind of earns his keep and and, you know, eventually finds his way out of those slumps. But, you know, his experience with the Lakers was really strange because his first couple of years, he didn't shoot it all that well. He didn't really you know, live up to the con. That first contract was 18 million dollars. And then I think it was the start of his third year, the championship year. Um after like a bad first two weeks of the season, he really hit his stride and it kind of carried all the way through, you know, past the hiatus and through the bubble. And, and then I would say he kind of went back into his roller coaster sort of, um, norm, uh, this last season. So you have to ride out some of those streaks, but you know, a guy who, like we've said, doesn't need the ball in his hands is going to be open and, uh, isn't afraid to fire it. I think that you're right though, about them wanting to make him, you know, a higher volume shooter, because that's something that the Lakers always kind of struggled with and something Frank Vogel talked about, you know, he would, he would get in these slumps and then become tentative. And that's not what he's on the floor. You know, he's not on the floor to not shoot the ball. He's on the floor to be the guy who knocks down four or five, six threes. And so, um, you know, I think that that's, you know, what you're going to be looking for from him, especially with two guys who are as dynamic in the backcourt as Beal and, uh, Dinwiddie. Yeah. I'm really interested to see how Wes Unseld handles guys like that. I mean, that's just something that we don't know. I think when people hear, okay, we have to learn what kind of a coach a certain person is, and that's obviously true for Unseld, you you think of it in more basic stuff. Okay, what kind of schemes does he want to run? What kind of principles does he value? What's his personality like? But there are smaller nuances to how he, like, coaches individual players too, right? So, like, for example, a a very Scott Brooks thing would, whenever a guy was hesitant to, to shoot, I think Scott Brooks would push really, really hard on a guy to be like, no, 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 no. you're going to shoot every time. Like when Jerome Robinson first comes over to the Wizards, very hesitant to shoot. And, and Brooks, even though he did not make jump shots, 
Brooks was pushing him. No, no, no. You're not going to make jump shots until you're confident enough to take all the jump shots. So you were going to shoot like crazy. Uh, and and then Jerome Robinson just turns into this guy who's going to shoot every time he touches the ball. Right. I mean, they very quickly turned into that. Now, you don't necessarily want to live on either of the extremes of the role player. You don't want someone with a 9% usage and you don't want a role player with a 28% usage. Uh, but I'm I'm curious to see how, you know, a guy like Pope who will who will go in and out of those sorts of um, I don't want to call them slumps, but like varying levels of of shooting hesitancy. Right. I'm curious to see how a guy like Unseld handles that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, you know I, 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 there's this great anecdote in uh, seven seconds or less, the legendary Jack McCallum book about the 04 Suns, where I think it was Raja Bell shoots a corner three and he misses the corner three. And he, and he says to D'Antoni, it was, he thought, you know, do you think it was a bad shot? And D'Antoni says to him, well, did you think that you can make it? And Bell says, yeah. D'Antoni says, then it's never a bad shot. And, and there are just all these different ways you can handle, you know, indecisiveness from players. And that's going to be an interesting thing with unwell and, uh, you know, unsolved in KCP, because that's, that's been a KCP thing for a little while. That's something that you hear about him behind the scenes. Right. And, uh, you know, do, do you know how Vogel handled, handled those situations when, when he has a game where he goes off and then he has another game where maybe he's, he's passing up some open shots. It was, I mean, there were, it, it was, it was a, a huge theme of last season about KCP becoming so passive and Vogel absolutely insisting that he needed to shoot more, more, more. And, you know, it's funny. I just pulled this up because I'd, I'd referenced it. Um, KCP was seven of 10 from three in a game against Milwaukee, not Detroit last year. That was right against the Bucks. And it was um, his 12th game of the season and it, 12, 12 games in, he was shooting 57% from three. Now, obviously that's not going to hold up, but would you care to guess what he shot over what I would characterize his slump? which lasted for the next 32 games. <laughs> I mean, it had to be around, he finished at like 41, and I remember he got off to that crazy hot start. So it was. It had to be some in the low 30s? It was, it was 30, 30.9. So over the next, over the next 32, 32 games. So, I mean, where he just wasn't a reliable um, you know, shooter at all. But then he finished the year strong. So, I mean, again, you just have to ride those. But, like, I just remember there being so many games where Frank would say, we want him taking those shots, we want him taking those shots. And he would have a game where he'd go three for six or, you know, four for seven, and you'd think he was back on track, and then he'd get passive again. And that's just something that, you know, is part of the KCP experience, ultimately. I mean, what's interesting, though, and, like, I know we'll get to him, but, like, you know, I would have to think, you know, and I'm not paying as close attention to this roster as you are, but one of the one of the some of the competition for that starting three spot has to be coming from Kyle Kuzma too, right? Damn straight. Yeah, let's talk Kyle Kuzma. You do you think that do you think that um you know, I, I've at least considered KCP for the Wizards kind of the best fit for them. They've just been on the prowl for for a classic 3 and D wing ever since Trevor Ariza yeah. left and he's just yep. exactly that. I think he's such a good fit for them. I thought that was that was just a he just fits perfectly for them. Kuzma though is pretty good defensively, and he'll guard the bigger wings. Uh, am I, mm-hmm. am I uh, over? I don't know if overstating. You know, I'll just say overstating. It's my podcast. I can say what I want. Am, am I, am I overstating the uh, the difference between KCP and Kuzma? Do you think I should be thinking the same of Kuzma? You know, if I was Kyle Kuzma, I probably would want to be. I'd probably want to be the sixth man on this team again. Like I think that he is still best suited for that role, and he, you know. But he has he has a very high opinion of himself and not even in a bad way. But like I remember um, 
in his, since last year where he had a comment which was along the lines of, you know, hey, I'd be starting on, you know, we have we have two of the best players in the world who happen to play my position, you know, otherwise I'd be starting on every other team in the league. Like every, or I'd, I'd, start, you know, I'd be starting on 29 teams. Everybody in the league knows that, you know, so he, you know, at least, you know, the way he views himself is that it's a no brainer that he's a starter in the NBA and, and, you know, he has starter talent, starter level talent. And the fact that he has made strides as a defender, um, I think really does, uh, bode well for, you know, his longevity, but, Ultimately, like you go back to his first couple of years in the league when he had a green light to score, you know, he was able to really come in and, you know, and get buckets. And he had kind of that Kobe mentality that, you know, Kobe himself had sort of blessed him with, like, you know, go out there and just shoot the damn ball. And um, over the last couple of years, you saw sort of the 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 push pull within Kyle Kuzma to become this player, this 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 grit and grind type um, guy who would die for loose balls and would uh, get into guys defensively and would really accept that challenge. But the offense just completely disappeared. You know, he didn't have the same uh, success shooting the ball. He wasn't as assertive going to the basket. So I'm really curious to see what ends up happening with him and what kind of player he becomes. Because I think there are circumstances where he could be a, you know, perhaps a 20 point per night score. I don't know that he would be that as the starter in Washington, particularly next to those guys we've already talked about. So from that standpoint, I think that um, KCP makes more sense because then Kuzma has more room to operate with that second unit, um, which is something he's comfortable with. You know, he's seen, you know, an old friend of his, uh, Jordan Clarkson, thrive in a bench role, embracing that bench role in Utah. So I, I kind of wonder if, you know, Kyle Kuzma, yes, wants to start and thinks he's good enough to start and probably is. But with the personnel that team has, um, you know, I think he might just have more runway coming off the bench. Yeah, I agree with you. I And I'll tell you what, if I were going to start Kyle Kuzma, I'd rather start him at the four over Rui than at the three over KCP. Um, I, If I'm putting together, and this is my opinion, I don't know how the Wizards feel about this yet, uh, but, but I, I, I need... I need three-point shooting from that three spot if I'm playing Dimwitty at the one, Rui at the four, and likely Gafford at the five. You need a three-point marksman from that three spot. You just need it. Uh, if Rui is going to be inconsistent from the three and prefer to space to inside the three-point line, assuming his habits stay mostly the same, uh, you know, Gafford is a is a dive guy, and Dinwiddie is a guy who likes to be able to get to the hoop. And even though Beal shoots and hits threes, you know, it, at this point, the thing that keeps his offense efficient at a high volume is the amount he's able to get to the hoop and get to the line. I think that's the best part of his game mm-hmm. as a scorer, and and obviously his mid range game. I mean, his, his the best parts of his game as a scorer right now are, are all inside the three point line. You want someone who's who's going to be able to space at a at a high level like KCP out there with him. Um, you know, I I think I'd be more likely to start Kuzma at the four than at the three because he's a better three-point shooter than Rui. The one thing that, 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 that concerns me the most about Kuzma, he had a 13% free throw rate last year. That's just how many free throw attempts he takes per field goal attempt. I mean, that is, yeah. that's not just a career low for him. I mean, that is a, that is a really, really low number for, for a forward who, who is supposed to be a guy who can, who can create his own shot you know, in an ideal world. And that, that's a low number. Does that concern you? that trend well i think I, I of course and like i also think you know if if you were going to play kyle kuzma at the three and the lakers have really 
had gone to great lengths over the years to get him more opportunities at the three because to try to free him up more offensively, they feel like that is where he can be the most potent offensively, which is why I was sort of eyeing that spot for him there. But there are a few parts of his game that do not really translate to that position. Like, you know, you try to put him in, you know, um, if you try to put him in pick and roll with the ball in his hands, it is it can be disastrous. Like if you ever go through uh, synergy and just pull up his pick and roll possessions, I mean, you will see all sorts of passes out of bounds, passes at feet. You know, it's it's not a strength of his game. And I do think if you want him on the perimeter with the ball in his hands, there has to be a little more um, a little better decision making and just a little more skill as a passer, too. And that is not really it has really not. He hasn't shown that yet. Um, but I will tell you, Fred, as a um, as, as as a cover you are going to love I mean all these guys are good like talkers and good good to cover like KCP is kind of a good like you know he'll kind of he's a good barometer he'll t- tend to tell you what's going on Montrez Harrell you know has no no is a great quote um but Kyle Kuzma is an all-timer he's an all-time great quote like he is one of the most entertaining people I've ever been around in the NBA like I I I find you know conversations with Kyle Kuzma, you know, both in scrums and one-on-one to be an absolute joy. So this may be not be as relevant to your listeners as it is to you, but like, it is so much fun to cover Kyle Kuzma. And like, especially knowing the way you cover your team and the way you, um, you know, want to dive in on, you know, specific analytics. Maybe you want to talk to Kyle Kuzma about his 13% uh, free throw rate, whatever it is. Like he is going to, he's going to engage you on these subjects and he is a really fun dude to talk to. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of the stories that you, you get out of covering him just because he is uh, a really unique individual. Good. We're going to get some, some weird Kyle Kuzma stories then. That's I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, as you should, you will. And, and he'll and he'll be game. Like, I mean, he is a um, you know, he has, like I said, a high opinion of himself, um, you know, is a very confident guy. Uh, but, you know, also has great stories about, you know, where he's from. You know, he's, you know, you know very, very proudly, you know, from Flint, uh, isn't afraid. It doesn't shy away from social issues. Um, just a really interesting dude to have in the locker room. And And by the way, I mean, you know, both he and Contavious Caldwell Pope are going to bring something to that Wizards locker room, you know, which is championship experience and, you know, kind of the perspective of of having won a championship and what that and what that requires and not, you know, like, you know, some distant memory of a championship. You know, they did it, you know, a year ago. So I think um, they literally so won I, a I title that that less than a year ago, 11, 10, 10 and a half months ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's been less. I mean, that's than the thing. I, that's, they're they're although I have to say they're, they're, it's a little less impressive because I think they had the shortest championship reign of any NBA players ever. So, is that really so impressive? That, that, that I mean, that would be. I mean, it's not their fault that if, if the season had been canceled and then there no, were it's two my, years between seasons. You know, what? that's my that's my hot take reign. of the episode, and uh, and I'm good with it. It's like how the Knicks had the longest winning streak in NBA history this year. You know that. Because they won on the last day of the suspended COVID season, didn't go to the bubble, and it was, and then they won their first game of the season. It was the longest winning streak by time in NBA history. So they're the shortest champs. If we're going to acknowledge the Knicks streak, then we're going to have to acknowledge the shortest champ streak. That's just the way it's going to have to go. I'm so curious what's going to happen with the forwards with I'm, them. By the way. I, 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 I think you are so full of shit that I'm going to find a streak that actually I'm going to find I'm going to find one that I can that I can no. say is uh, or, you're not I mean, there will be one. Hold you're on. not. It's, I will. It's the Knicks. one. That's a real stat. That's a real thing. Why isn't my keyboard working, Fred? What did you do to my computer? <laughs> why, can't, why can't I? Why can't, 
Hold on, I've got to Google. Your computer Google knows Google. that you are incorrect and you will not be able to find a streak longer than the Knicks winning streak. And uh, there, there should have been a deep dive on the Knicks' extraordinary longest winning streak of all time. Unfortunately, there wasn't. Uh, anyway, I'm so curious about the forwards. I talked about this a little bit in the last episode. They have so many forwards. I mean, we haven't talked about Davis Bertans and how he could, how he's going to fit into this. And I, I went on a long thing about Bertans last episode and wrote about him earlier this week, just about what his role might end up being this year. I'm not totally and completely sure. I think they'll find a spot for him. But I mean, Kuzma's a good, helpful player. KCP, I think, will get minutes of the three. They're going to play two point guards next to Beal at some point, and that's obviously going to cut into minutes at the three. Hachimura is going to get minutes. There's Denny Avdia there. Mm-hmm. There's Corey Kispert there. Uh, they just they have a lot of players who they're going to have to wedge in the three. And at any given moment, assuming people are healthy and available, someone who you think would get playing time, you know, Avdia or Kispert or or, or someone is not going to be getting time. I think it's an interesting roster construction. It's a little imbalanced. And, uh, you know, the worst problems to have in the world. But but then, uh, you know, having too many players you could justify giving playing time to. I don't think that's been an issue for the Wizards in years past. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how Kuzma fits into all of that. Because, you know, maybe he ends up, I mean, it's plausible there could be a movement to end up starting him at the four because if Hachimura's off-ball defense struggles and, uh, you know, he's just not, uh, you know, he doesn't take steps forward and he's just kind of the same player he was last year and the Wizards' defense is struggling and they need another solid defender in their starting lineup and you can get KCP, Kuzma, and Gafford out there as your back line and you think that's going to solidify you more. I mean, I could see a world where people are arguing that that should that should be the starting lineup. Uh, so so I don't know how it's going to develop, but I think he's an interesting addition. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You think Harrell's going to play? Like, what, what is going to happen with Montrez Harrell, who, who has basically, I mean, gone from, from, from darling to the third guy in a three-man center rotation to now, like, Thomas Bryant's going to start the year not healthy, I think. But once Brian is healthy, there's another three-man center rotation that Montrez Harrell is going to have to deal with. And uh, I, I just don't know what's, what's going to happen with him. I mean, what, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on him after the year he had last year? April 17th, 2002 to October 29th, 2014. The Charlotte Hornets. That's not longer. The Charlotte, the Charlotte, the Charlotte. That's not longer. April 17th. 
2002 to October 29th, 2014. Oh, because they were years. They were Charlotte. No, that doesn't count. Those are different franchises. One of them. No, it's all- one of them just They're absorbed all- the history of a previous franchise. That is the New Orleans Pelicans to start. I'm just and then the, the Charlotte, Charlotte Hornets. Hornets. Nope, that's the bullshit. Charlotte Hornets won a game on April 17th, 2002, and the Charlotte Hornets next won a game on October 29th, nope. 2014. The, they became the New Orleans Same Pelicans. Team. They evolved, or they became the New Orleans Hornets, then the New Orleans Pelicans, and the New Orleans Hornets, and the Oklahoma City Hornets, and then New Orleans Hornets again, and then the New Orleans Pelicans. They lost games as all of those teams. That counts. Same organization. I hate when sports teams absorb. I shouldn't say I hate it. You know what? Whatever. I hate it. I hate when sports teams absorb the history of a franchise that isn't theirs, but has their name anyway. Like, I hate that. It's not the same franchise. Listen, I, We're just supposed to ignore listen, that we know how this happened. We're supposed to pretend that we didn't see the Charlotte Hornets became the Nor- become the New Orleans Pelicans. No, I'm just saying I have found I have found a loophole in your Knicks argument, and I'm standing by. Not this. a loophole. You're, it is a 12 year, 12 year winning streak. You know what? For the Charlotte I'm Hornets. I'm I'm sending this I'm, to the listeners. Do the Hornets count? The Hornets do not count. But if you if you agree with me, tweet it at me and Bill. Or, or leave it, or leave it, or leave it in the comments on the athletic website. And if you don't agree with me, then you don't have to say anything. I do, I do like that. This I, I like, I like the way you phrased that question, and I feel like it's kind of a catch-all that could be, um, that could be its own like poll without any context. Do the Hornets count? <laughs> uh, by the way, you make you you made you said something that actually uh, is a good segue for this conversation. You said that you don't like when a team just absorbs another team's history. Well, I feel like the Wizards have just absorbed the Lakers' history, at least in terms of their roster in recent So years, many. Right? Like, the Wizards have just absorbed all these like Lakers cast-offs. Thomas Bryant, from, Mo know, Wagner. Thomas Bryant, Mo Wagner, Isaac Bonga, uh, you know, and obviously this current group of guys. Um, don't so forget about Jamario like Jones. Dwight, ha- oh, Dwight Jones. Howard. And that doesn't, eh, Dwight, that went the other way. There was, Dwight ended the up. year Dwight was on the Wizards, I absolutely loved that every Lakers center was a former Wizard, and every Wizards center was a former Laker. Is that true? Like, who are we even talking, who's, like, Brooke Lopez wasn't, was it, wasn't a former Wizard, was he there that no, year? No, he wasn't. It was, uh, the Lakers centers were, 20, the Lakers centers were JaVale. JaVale. JaVale McGee. And uh, I forget who the other one. And the, the Wizards centers. Thomas, Thomas Bryant, Mo Wagner, and Dwight Howard. Yeah, I think that's right. It was definitely Thomas Bryant, Dwight oh. Howard. It was before the Wagner trade. Okay. And somebody else. But they, it, it was a thing. Just like the Knicks oh, the Lakers had Zubats. Like Zubats wasn't a... No, nah, they traded for him midseason that year. It was, it was, we're talking opening day. No, the Lakers had Zubats at the start of the year. They traded him oh, away. Oh, they traded him away. It's like you don't. It's like you don't watch the Lakers at all. It's like the Lakers aren't the team you cover, and that is frustrating. <laughs> That's to me. right. I reversed it. Maybe it was after the trade. Whatever. Tell me your thoughts on Harold. Uh, yeah, he's a complicated one. Um, you think he helps? I, you know, I, I think I think he's he 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 wins you games in the regular season. Like there there are just times it's middle of February and you need a burst, and that guy has constant energy. He brings it, you know, great, you know, great on the boards, tip outs, you know, obviously, you know, has, you know, has, you know, some tricks offensively. Um, yeah, I, I, he's a guy who I think will play in the regular season, but like you have this and 
you know, maybe that's just what the Wizards need, honestly. Like the Wizards are kind of at that we're at are at that stage of their development where, you know, a you know, a strong regular season and, and some seeding, you know, really matters. So, you know, I, he's a guy who I see helping them. Like he'll put up some numbers if, if he can get on the floor because like, but you know, he's undersized. He's, he can't play defense. Um, he's so easy to run off the floor. I mean, the time, first time it really became evident to me last year, Fred, and you might remember this, that game against the wizards and, and Robin Lopez, that was when it was like, especially, um, it was especially problematic. Was that, was that an overtime game against the wizards in LA? Is that how that went? Yes. I seem to recall like, overtime in LA and Harold couldn't get on the floor for like the last six minutes of the fourth quarter or overtime. And it was so telling because the Lakers would rather play. Um, you know, I can't remember if it, if it was Marcus Saul in that particular matchup or whatever, but it was, it was just so stunning that, that Montrez Harold, I think it had a big game. I think he scored a lot of points and he couldn't play in when the game actually mattered. And I, so I think that that's sort of what you deal with with him. I mean, it's just sort of the, you know, he can get you numbers. He can, he can, he can, he can fill up the stat sheet, but in terms of like actually winning games and being able to close, you know, close in those situations, he's just so easy to play off the floor. So it was the eighteen nineteen or the nineteen twenty season, and it was Thomas oh. Bryant and Mo Wagner, and then with the Lakers, okay. it was Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard, and, and JaVale Bay. McGee, and they also signed Markeith Morris too that year. I like how like we are spending this podcast like each making our points and then the other one of us is like googling frantically to to, to prove our to, to to prove the other one wrong on like a topic from like five minutes earlier i i actually really i'm really enjoying this dynamic see you maybe you like podcasting after this maybe i mean i have a podcast i love my own podcast in case anyone's listening uh the forum club uh, you should listen to the Forum Club. We have had one episode since the end of the season, but we'll be back for the start of the regular Maybe season. Maybe you'll enjoy it. Me, Jovan Buha, Anthony Slater, wherever you get down, wherever you download your podcast, and on the Athletic app. Yeah, I, I'm Fred. What are we doing I'm, here? I'm go pick up my kid from skateboard camp. What's what, how much? How much more of my precious time do you need? I I, I want to talk about Harold for a quick second. Uh, go for it. Let's do it. Because I. I'm so curious to see what ends up happening with him because the Wizards have three centers. It could go either way. It could go either way. And like, and I'll say this about the way it went with the Lakers was it was such a, not an intentional pun here, but I'm not changing it. A heralded um, off season pickup where it was seen as such a coup um, to, you know, swipe him away from the the Clippers, do it for the mid-level exception. You know, you let Dwight walk basically uh, to bring in Trez and he just, you know, he was great at the start of the regular season. You know, he obviously has his ups and downs, but he, you know, it was probably pretty obvious even when the Lakers got him. And those of us who thought, oh, this is a great pickup should have been a little more mindful of how the playoffs went the year before. And when it got to be the postseason against Phoenix, I mean, Harold was a, a DNP when it mattered. Um, and I just I don't see that changing really um, against any anybody that has, you know, tr- big, you know, bigger centers. And I just. Um, I feel like this is a pattern that's going to keep repeating itself. So I think, you know, you, I think you'll get lured in on Trez because he plays with such passion and such energy and he will put up numbers, but it's, it's, you know, I hate, I hate, I hate being mean to guys, but like it's, it's all kind of fool's gold and whatever he's, he's going to be getting paid $10 million. Who cares if I'm an asshole to him? I have three quick hitting thoughts on him and then we'll wrap. The, the sure. first one is he looks a lot better when he has a really, really good pick and roll partner he can play with. Correct. Uh, the Wizards right now don't have a pick and roll heavy backup point guard. 
They have Howell Neto there. They have Aaron Holiday there. Those guys are not pick and roll heavy. I'm curious to see how they do their rotations because if Harrell is their backup center, like I think he'll be to begin the year because Bryant's going to start the year hurt. I wonder if they stagger Bradley Beal so Beal can run the reserve unit because Beal's a very good pick and roll runner. And if you have Beal running pick and rolls with Harrell, I could see Harrell being very successful in that situation. That's a really good pick and roll partner for him. I could see them having very good chemistry. Beal has great pick and roll chemistry with Thomas Bryant. Uh, he developed really good pick and roll chemistry with with Daniel Gafford. I think that's something that could work really well for them. I see those two skill sets meshing well, and I think that can make him look good. Uh, the the other thing, and and if and if he doesn't have a good pick and roll partner running with him. I think he could look very different. Uh, that 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 he tends to have an extreme effect when he's going with, say, Lou Williams versus uh, you know a guy who's not necessarily a pick and roll type guard. Uh, the 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 other thing is I wonder how they're going to handle which forwards play next to him. Because if he's playing next to, ta- to Davis Bertans, for example, in a lot of bench units, that backline defense is going to be problematic and it's going to make everybody look worse. Uh, and. Uh, and yeah, I just wonder what's going to happen with, with that three center rotation. Like, I wonder if they're if, if if Gafford can't play more than twenty minutes again, like he did last year, they might end up playing three centers with with uh, you know Bryant coming back, maybe being on a minutes restriction. For all we know, it's just it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how they rotate these guys. We're at the point where I just I don't think they know how they're going to do it yet. So how could I possibly know? Uh, and it's 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 going to be quite interesting. Anyway, Bill, you got anything to plug before we wrap? No, not not much. I mean, obviously, when, when things get going again, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be rolling with our podcast, which we already talked about. Jovan Buha and I are on the are on the Lakers together, so we're gonna have tons of Russ coverage. If you've got any uh, Westbrook loyalists still listening, you know, we're gonna be documenting that whole uh, adventure to see how that works out uh, with with Russ next to LeBron and AD. All very excited um, and. And we'll be we'll be hitting the ground running here probably after this, we shake the summer off a little bit. Great. And uh, I'll be back with a new episode sometime next week. Subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Tell your friends about Wizards After Dark. Head on to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and review Wizards After Dark. Give us five stars. Leave the written reviews. Those are always super helpful. If you want to subscribe to The Athletic to read my story with John Hollinger that I mentioned earlier or a story I wrote about Davis Bertans earlier this week. You can go on there. You can go to theathletic.com slash wizards after dark, and that gets you a full subscription to The Athletic for a discounted price. I, I believe it's $3.99 right now. Uh, and you can go and you can check that out, theathletic.com slash wizards after dark. And that's not just Wizards coverage. That's everything you want. That's out. all of our NBA coverage. It gets you Bill's Lakers coverage, his Westbrook coverage. It gets you everything else in NBA and MLB and NFL and WNBA and everything that you could possibly want. From The Athletic, it gets you this podcast and every other podcast we have ad-free on The Athletic app. So check that out. Like I said, I'll be back with new episodes with new guests next week, and I'll talk to you guys then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.